This is Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome to Tasting Together. I am your host, Andre Peru, and I am joined by my co-host, Maroki Tong, and um, they haven't cancelled us yet. I know, we got an episode two, Andre. And um, not only do we have an episode two, but we have a real big show coming up here. We do, we do. Andre, we managed to secure a star. (laughs) We did secure a star. I I mean, if anyone wants to guess who we might have on, I guess the first hint is I know exactly what you were doing Monday night, Maroki. I absolutely may have had the TV on with a glass of wine and was geeking out over the finale of Top Chef Canada. And we are very lucky to be joined by Canada's Top Chef for Season 10. That is uh, Trey Sanderson. Trey, how's it going? Hey, how's it going, guys? How are we feeling? We're, we're well, feeling great. Describe, yeah, I'm feeling hungry. How excited <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big thing, honestly, and being the first black winner is is, is iconic. So I'm I'm geeked. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I I you know um, diversity and inclusion and and kind of seeing our mosaic, our you know the Canadian fabric, you know, show up in the culinary scene is something that is near and dear to my heart. So you will say that I gave like extra cheers and may have popped <laughs> some bubbly in your honor. When it all happened, um, I, guys, I don't know if you can't tell. I'm a huge Top Chef Just a fan, bit. and I I don't get starstruck over things. <laughs> I I can look at Robert. I can look at people like Robert Downey Jr. in the face and be like, "Sup, bro," and then I will then, like literally chase chefs like across cities and countries. You know, I'll travel to Montreal and be like, "Who's?" Top Chef competitors, I must go find them and eat their food. Yes. You know, it's one of my favorite things about just where we're at in 2022, like with social media platforms like like Instagram and having a network like the Food Network. um, You know, you can really just eat with your eyes. And um, the whole the whole idea of the celebrity chef is, um, you know, it's I think it's so much bigger than anyone could have ever anticipated with like you know some of the original if we're, we're talking canada like guys like the urban peasant and walk with yen and taking a look at where where food on television is now compared to that but i guess let's let's just dive into the sort of the first most simple question trey how does it feel to win feels amazing you know uh satisfying in so many different ways you know being being the underdog in this competition you know, people probably counted me out the first week you know and being in the position that I'm in right now is kind of it made me hungry, you know. It made me want to push hard and and showcase what Trey could do against some of the best chefs Canada has to offer. So it felt amazing to come out and, and win it win it through. Um, and yeah, I'm 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 so happy and excited for for what's to come. Now, Trey, you said you were the underdog. For anyone who hasn't watched the show yet. Um, and is maybe either looking to binge it later, or maybe they just didn't get the opportunity to. Why would you? Why would you think people considered you the underdog? You know, I think, you know, I have the experience. You know, I've been in the industry for ten years and counting now. So, but I've never ran a kitchen. I never had that executive chef title. I've never had that head chef title. I've always been a senior at a senior level, a senior cook. You know, and 
that that may not have as much experience as someone who's been a chef for 20 plus years. They've been making menus. They've been cooking for certain celebrities, um, having different um, food um, and showcasing their cuisine at a high level or whatever they want their food to look like or taste like. I haven't had the opportunity to showcase that. I've always been cooking um, someone else's menu. Um, so for me to kind of go out there and create my own food was 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 crazy. And nobody expected me to kind of, you know, win the first week. So it was kind of, it opened up my eyes for a lot of people, for sure. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think it really goes to show that, you know, what shows up on your resume or how one presents their credentials to the world doesn't necessarily deem that they are, you know, any less of a competitor than someone else. And I think this is something that is so beautiful about the culinary industry, the wine industry, any industry, honestly, right? That you can't just say, oh, well, I look really shiny on a piece of paper. If you have the heart, you have the soul, you have the passion, and clearly, you know, the talent, anyone has the opportunity to make it to the top. For sure. Well, I want to kind of get into the gossip about the season because this <laughs> season was a, had a few firsts um, compared to the other nine seasons of Top Chef. First of all, it was the first time Top Chef went international. Am I correct? Yes. And I'm so and happy to be a part of that season. So it's, it's yeah. crazy. We're going international. Yeah. We're on the island. We're, we're in, like, I'm so close to Jamaica. Like I'm so close to home. Uh, this is my blood. So to cook out there and cook some ingredients at its freshest form, it, it was it was so sick, like amazing. Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about like not having the experience making your or cooking your own food, like in your in your professional career. When you get onto a show like Top Chef, where you're just set loose in a kitchen, then um, like where do you get the, the the confidence and how do you just like how how where do you start when when you're when you're putting together the recipes on the show. Interesting you say that. You know, I think, you know, working in this industry, the hours are long, the weeks are long. For me, I stay hungry. You know, on my days off, you can find me in a local market or, you know, just, you know, getting ingredients, you know, to, to try at home, try different, you know, techniques, different different styles, different flavors that may or not may or may not go together. So I think it's just pushing the boundaries, pushing the limit and, and you know, really just kind of pushing myself and creating dishes that, you know, a chef, a, a normal chef would would never have thought about would go together. So I think for me it was just kinda informing my or informing myself with different information and, and really just trial and error. So I always keep learning, I always keep you know, just kind of keeping myself like in the creative aspect of it because sometimes I think menus be could can become repetitive, and you could kind of see the same thing. So I, I just wanted to be different with my approach. Trey, you you know your Instagram handle is in the palace. So why don't you tell us what does that mean? In the palace, you know, I like to consider it my home. Um, my kitchen, you know, I, I consider the, the palace my kitchen. Um, and, you know, that space is like my space to create. Um, nobody can tell me what to do. It's it's my room to kind of just create and just do different things. Um, 
on, on my time and and really just kind of being being different in the palace came a long way because that's where i got to come up with my own style and and it really inspired me to become and apply for the next season of top chef canada I really mm-hmm. love hearing you you talk about that because like I'm I'm lucky enough to know quite a few chefs and when they leave the kitchen they are doing nothing but cooking ramen and craft dinner at home so it sounds like it sounds like the palace is the place we need to be outside of uh outside of your 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 day job even in the kitchen facts facts uh in the palace is my is my space to like just go crazy and just think outside the box recipes that like you know I came up on the fly or whatever but it works tastes amazing um, there's different ingredients that you know you may or may not work together but you try it and then you you, you try it with like different proteins or you know seasonal veg and it's like it just comes together beautifully so and the palace mm-hmm. is, is, is my heart. and speaking of being in the palace I know Trey your sense of home and your Jamaican roots is very, very important to you and your cuisine. So when we come back from the break, I'd love to dive into that with you a little bit more and how you bring your Jamaican heritage in unconventional ways into your dishes and how it gave you the edge on Top Chef Canada. So stick around. We're going to have plenty more with Trey Sanderson in just a minute after this short break. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's News, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I am Maroki Tong and I'm here with my co-host Andre Pru and we are joined by Season 10's Top Chef Canada's winner, Trey Sanderson. Hi, Trey. And uh, right before we went to the break, we were just talking a little bit about your, you know, your style of cuisine and how you brought it to Top Chef and, you know, bringing your Jamaican roots and flavors into your dishes. Um, do you have a most memorable dish that you prepared for this particular competition in this season? Um, I think the most memorable dish for me was my first dish, the first elimination challenge, which was like the jerk shrimp with like the plantain and the roast red pepper like sauce. Like that dish meant a lot for me because like, that that kind of set the standard like i'm here to stay i'm here to play you know what i mean so that was kind of like the most memorable dish for me sure i don't mm-hmm. know if, i don't know if i've ever had jerk shrimp right yeah you, know, you look at jerk you think immediately you think jerk chicken you know jerk paste is so much like versatile in so many different ways it has like over 10 in- ingredients alone you know you could put it on so many different things and, and that's what i wanted to showcase here like jerk Paste is so first and, and it's so flavorful if used properly. And how would we get the opportunity to taste your jerk shrimp? Ooh. Uh, currently working at Bella, but like um, right now I'm working on uh, pop ups around the city uh, with like minded chefs. I'm interested in kind of bringing Jamaican food to a different level, you know, pushing the envelope, being different, being creative. You look at Jamaican food, obviously, you think like, okay, I'm going to go home and eat this in a takeout box. But why can't Jamaican food be on a level where we're talking Michigan, we're talking well, Jamaican, this Jamaican restaurant here in Toronto is, is probably one of the best restaurants in the world. Why can't that be the conversation? So that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the boundaries I'm trying to push. I took a quick moment to take a look at In the Palace, your Instagram handle here, and there is a beautiful photo of, uh, of the jerk shrimp that you put together, mango, scotch bonnet, all spice and scallion. 
man, I got I got to keep an eye out for the for the pop ups. You have any pop ups coming up soon that the listeners might be uh, might be interested if they want to want to see what you're up to? Yes, um, I have one in the works right now, uh, just before uh, the holidays. Um, can't speak too much about it right now, but it's uh, it's actually with a local competitor, uh, Joaquin. Uh, me and him mm. are gonna you know, do something together and, and create a space and, and have like kind of like a five course tasting menu. But this is showcasing uh, island ingredients, but also seasonal as well. So you know you have some French techniques in there, um, some dishes that you you never think that like it would go but you know it's like having cocoa bread and in, in a smaller form like a paddle like you know what i mean it's things like that but um it's just kind of being different and and, and and doing something toronto has never seen before i think toronto could get repetitive in the cooking scene and the culinary scene so i want to be that chef to change it a little bit be different be, be diverse and have a different style a different perspective on on the industry I love that so much because that is a callback to something I actually spoke about on episode one, Trey, saying, you know, growing up when I thought about fine dining, it was about European cuisine because a lot of the food that I grew up with, you know, I'm Chinese by descent. So, you know, the food that we see at home and the food that we see out uh, when, you know, I go out to eat, it's it's takeaway, it's casual dining, it's family dining. And, you know, that was just the particular narrative that I that I was raised by and so the only fine dining I ever thought about was predominantly French or, or Italian but now as an adult I love kind of coming that full circle and saying but what about our like what about what about my food what about Chinese food what about Indian cuisine what about Jamaican cuisine what about Mexican cuisine how can you know how can that not be fine dining too and it absolutely has the opportunity to so to kind of see that happening now and to see us driving forth this kind of change in Toronto and beyond um, fills my heart with joy. So, you know, everyone make sure you follow Trey at in the palace on Instagram. And, you know, that way you can stay tuned, especially when you're, if you're looking for something cool to do over the holidays. So Trey, um, um, you talked a little bit about how the food scene in Toronto can be a little bit repetitive. Maybe a good question for the, for the listeners. Like I'm always on the, on, on the look for what the up and coming trend is going to be. What do you think, I guess apart from the fact that Elevated Jamaican is clearly going to be on everyone's radar after this, but what do you think is, is going to be sort of the next big thing in Toronto over the next little while? I think the next big thing is is diversity. Um, you look at uh, some of the Michelin Guide, uh, North America has to offer so many different cuisines and, and techniques, different styles of chefs that reach that three Michelin star level. And it's so different. So I think with the Michelin Guide being here in Toronto now, you're going to see a lot of different styles and different techniques uh, that will like kind of open the eyes to some some diners and, and, and really elevate Toronto's hospitality, um, you know, and and really build it to something that that it has like became in the last twenty plus years. You know, it's it's been uh, every year it's been getting better and better. So yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be cool definitely. All right, Trey. So you work at Vela in Toronto. It's a restaurant that has a very good wine and cocktail list. I've had my eyes on it for a little while now. And I know Maroki and I would not let you off the hook on this interview if we didn't talk to you a little bit about how food and wine come together. So when you're putting together a menu or planning a recipe, do you have a particular strategy when it comes to putting together wine and food? Um, not necessarily. I think 
I try if I'm if I'm doing like a one pairing, like I try to just like work along the Somali ape is kind of just like research and, and, and understanding what, what wine will pair well with some spicy food. I always find that a challenge in my own life is, is wine going with spicy food. But I think the yeah. opportunity yeah. exists, right? Like one of the things I care a lot about is showing that wine can pair with cuisines that are, that go beyond just steak or duck or fish. Um, what does pair well with curry? What does pair well with jerk spices? And, you know, Trey, do you have a particular process when you, you know, when you make your food and create your cuisine, your own cuisine, do you, do you think about, you know, the wine and drink pairings that go along with that? I like to understand it from a humble approach and, and understand that, you know, you know, if something's really spicy, maybe something sweet or acidic could like kind of balance it out and things like that. But, but you know, for me, wine pairing is, is I'm still learning. There's one thing I want to ask you just as we're winding up our, our interview here. Um, I like to spend a lot of time in the kitchen myself. I'm certainly not calling my, my kitchen a palace, that's for sure. And I, I'm taking a look <laughs> at a, a great recipe that you recently had published in, in Quench magazine for your curry goat. And um, what do you think would be the best piece of advice you could give to a home cook that's looking to elevate their game and just bring a little bit more flair to their table for their guests? Um, for me, the biggest advice is kind of just like taste as you go. Also, season as you go. Season seasoning plays a big part in uh, Jamaican cuisine. Making sure those spices get cooked out. I mean, that's where initially all the flavor really comes from. But just just ensuring that you're tasting and like kind of like making sure the the food cooks for a, a, a good time too. Like Jamaican food is very um, time consuming. You know, you have some you know the oxtail is be stewing on the stove for you know 10 plus hours or the curry goat which is like the leg of the you know goat it's like really stews down for hours and hours so this flavor is getting developed over time so it's a very patient cuisine i would say but yeah kind of tasting as you go seasoning as you go yeah have fun with it too cooking so fun and emotional and it brings memories to the table i love that well, you know, and it ties it all back, you know, going back into the palace and spending time in the palace, um, you know, your your home, your soul and your roots. Trey, thank you so much for giving us the time and, and sharing your experience with us for everyone at home. Um, you can watch the entire season of Top Chef Canada on Stack TV. Um, I mean, that's certainly how I'm watching my TV these days. And uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye for your next pop up on uh, on in the palace uh, on Instagram. I'm sure uh, I'm sure you've got some big things coming and we'll see how Jamaican food gets elevated. And hopefully next year, hopefully next year, we'll, we'll see you in the Michelin Guide, maybe. That's the goal. Dream big out here. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you all. Tasting Together will be right back on 640 Toronto. You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I am your host, Andre Peru, and I am joined by my co-host, Maroki Tong. I think, Maroki, are you still fangirling a little bit after the last segment? I'm pulling myself together, Andre. <laughs> I am nothing but a consummate professional. Are you sure? 
<laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, you know, it's the thing that I love about the, about the Food Network is just how, you know, the, the people who put our meals together are now getting a lot of the recognition they deserve. And I know it, it can be a little bit mixed when you talk to a lot of chefs who work in fine dining restaurants, how they feel about how this culture has evolved. But the way I see it is it's been nothing but a net win for, for everyone and for society. Just be more mindful of, of how and where and what we eat. And uh, I can't wait for the next season of Top Chef Canada. I completely agree with you on all those fronts, Andre. I think it's incredibly important that we get a glimpse of what's happening behind the scenes and show a lot of appreciation for it. But speaking a lot of hard work behind the scenes, I think they're probably super busy gearing up for the holiday season, which is just rolling around the corner, uh, starting with American Thanksgiving, which apparently has a lot more impact in Canada than I ever thought. Yeah, it's really kind of crazy. I know that especially over the past decade, Black Friday has been creeping its way north of the border a little bit more and a little bit more. And uh, I I like to keep one eye on the sales. I don't know about you. I, I used to be a lot more intense about that, but having worked in retail during Black Friday, I'm <laughs> now one of those people that... Avoid uh, going out at all costs. If the only time I ever want to is that I know that I've been in America a couple of times during American Thanksgiving and Black Friday happens the day afterwards. I don't understand how that works. And I've once considered like sitting at the edge of a parking lot and just watching it, watching like the hubbub as, I don't know, observing society, but I've never actually done it. Yeah, I mean, Um, I've never seen, I've never seen. It's, I think it's hard to imagine the scope of it because I know Boxing Day in Canada is a, is a pretty big deal. But I mean, okay, when we're thinking about this time of year, I like to think of, of this time in November as like peak turkey season. And I'm someone who cooks turkey a lot. I know I'm not normal. I usually cook about five or six turkeys a year. Um, I invite a bunch of friends over usually in, in June, July or August and uh, cook a turkey on my smoker. And uh, I've had a lot of friends just to be like, so why are you cooking a turkey in the summer? And I'm like, hmm, just because. So we now call it just because turkey at at, at my house. I don't know how. Didn't how- you say? Did, didn't you say you always have one turkey in the freezer at any given time? I try to keep a turkey in the freezer at any given time, but um, right now the space in my freezer is occupied by a beef brisket. I didn't have time to cook this summer, so I'm looking forward to getting the smoker out for that before it gets too too cold. But I'm also like a year round barbecue. I'm just. I'm a weirdo all around when it comes to uh, the food that comes out of my kitchen. Well, clearly you love turkey very much, Andre. Yes. Do you love turkey, Maroki? I do. Um, I mean, actually, that's it's an interesting question because I think a lot of people might not love turkey as much as both of us proclaim to do. I know turkeys kind of deem this like very healthy meat. It's very lean, but it can come off a little bit flavorless and maybe... When people say they love turkey, they love the festivities around what turkey represents. They they like the sides. But for me, I didn't grow up eating a lot of turkey. And I most certainly didn't have the giant turkey with stuffing for Thanksgiving or Christmas. It was not part of my culture growing up. So it wasn't until I started working for the farmer's market. I actually worked for St. Jacob's Farmer's Market in Kitchener-Waterloo in my early 20s. And it was, you know, when I was old enough, suddenly saying to myself, I am going to bring these traditions into the family and I will bring in stuffing and cranberry sauce. So I love it. And maybe it's because I've not had the opportunity to taste it 
um, very often until adulthood. What what was it about the Thanksgiving spread that was so attractive to you that you decided to bring that tradition into your household where it didn't exist before? Probably the novelty, if I'm honest. You know, you, you grow up going to school and I grew up going, you know, to Western schools. And around that time of year, you pull out all those storybooks and it shows the family gathering has, you know, the, you kind of see the family coming together. You see all these foods that for for, for myself were not typical of what was in my household, right? What's in my household is steamed white rice or stir fried vegetables or whole steamed fish. And for me, that was considered boring, quote unquote, it's not. <laughs> but for as a child who's looking for a little bit of novelty, I sensationalized the, the big turkey, like seeing this big bird. And I, I don't know about you, but you know, around the holiday season at schools, they used to bring in those little like holiday meals for you to eat. And so tasting stuffing and all its spices and herbaceousness was incredibly delicious to me and was something that kind of piqued all my flavor senses or cranberry sauce. We don't eat cranberries. It's not a typical Chinese fruit or food. And just tasting that tartness and that sweetness and how it complemented the turkey was just so delicious to me. I really love this. I, I really love listening to you talk about this. And it's, it's just one of those things where perspective is so important and there's certain things that we take for take for granted, you know. Um, I mean, the reason I, I do cook turkey outside of Christmas is I've never understood why you're sort of forced to do that spread just at like once or once or twice a year. Because it is, it's not just the meal, it's the gathering of people. But the other thing too is, I think most people are afraid to get more creative with how they cook their turkey. I guess this is contrary to what you're saying, because you've just admitted to everyone listening to the radio that in your household eating turkey is more exotic i don't know i, I know I, i'm sort of i'm sort of lost in my train of thought here but there's just something about holidays that revolve around food um i know we're quite a ways off from the lunar new year but it's something that i have i certainly haven't taken for granted living in ontario is uh getting a chance to go up to markham to do the chinese new year spread uh I don't. How do you feel about about the Chinese New Year spread in in your house? I'm not even sure if I'm using the right terminology. <laughs> the Lunar New Year spread has always been impressive. Um, it, it is very traditional, you know. Um, it's but it's very similar. A gathering of families, bringing out really specific dishes um, that represent good luck and prosperity. I I find that as an adult, very sadly, I've not been able to enjoy. Lunar New Year to its full extent as much as I have as a child. And I think that just has to do with uh, hashtag adulting, I guess, so to say, <laughs> you know, we've all gone our own ways. People have different careers and people have moved far away from each other. It's hard for all of us to come together. You know what? I, I know and- it's a, I know it's a way, a way, a way off. And just so we don't like bury, bury the lead. But I think when we get close to, to Chinese New Year, uh, we should definitely shine a light on what that looks like. Because I think there's a lot of people listening to this that would have no idea. And I mean, when you can share culture through food, that's always always a great thing um but yeah, i mean look- sure and I, I and you know what like you know speaking to that that's not to say that people can't judge up their holidays in a slightly different way you know when you were talking about being more creative with the the thanksgiving or the holiday dinners i've i do see people doing curried stuffings and changing you know adding oh, the, a little bit of the fusion flair the worst thing i ever did and this is something i'm telling to anyone who likes their their hot sauces i once basted a turkey in frank's red hot sauce i do not recommend that 
not because it's spicy, but because it just was too salty. Well, I'm not one to really get too experimental with my Thanksgiving meals, Andre, because like I said, as someone who's never really tasted that tradition, I'm excited to taste it as an adult. But this last Canadian Thanksgiving, so back in October, yeah, I get to experience it twice, guys. Um, Back in October, my partner made this wild rice stuffing. So still with a similar flavor profile, but um, had a little bit more texture and bite to the rice but the rice also contained like beans and lentils and just kind of legumes in it which i thought was not only a healthier alternative to stuffing but just equally as flavorful and frankly with you know better texture (laughs) and structure does anybody really go into thanksgiving with the mindset of i'm gonna make this a healthy meal though I do. (laughs) I have to think about the next day. I'm getting to the age, Andre. You just have to think about these things, okay? Oh, I'm well past that age. But I think Thanksgiving and and Christmas and American Thanksgiving, it's all about the stretchy pants, the gravy, and the extra piece of pie. I, I do not judge. I do not judge however people choose to approach their holiday dinners. I know we're going to be talking about this quite a bit leading up into the holidays, We'll maybe dive into the best place to order your Christmas spread if you decide to not cook it yourself because it is a whole lot of work. And I know after two years of pandemic, if there's anything that will give you more time with your family, a lot of people will be looking at it that way. And um, I know a topic people always love to talk about this time of year is wine and that whole spread. So I know we're going to touch on that. It's something I've covered a lot as a wine writer since 2010. Um and I guess my mea culpa, I just, I'm I'm not a big fan of talking about wine and turkey. And I guess the listeners will have to stay tuned to find out why. When we come back from the break, we are going to revisit a part of our conversation with Top Chef Canada Season 10 winner, Trey Sanderson, and do a deep dive on a wine that most of you will either love or hate. You're listening to Tasting Together on 640 Toronto. <laughs> Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I'm your host, Andre Pru, and I'm joined by my co-host, Maroki Tong. Earlier in the show, we had a chance to talk to Trace Anderson, the winner of Top Chef Canada. And if you haven't had a chance to check out Top Chef Canada, you can uh, log into Stack TV to watch the whole season at this point. Um, and I thought it would be a good opportunity after our interview, we had a chance to talk to him a little bit about wine. Let's put this all out there. Cause I know Trey mentioned that he's not a wine expert, but he does love wine. So Trey, what is your favorite wine? Do you have a favorite wine? Do you have a favorite region? I don't have a favorite region, but I love Napa Valley Chardonnay. Oh yeah. It's, it's so good. It's so nice. Such a beautiful <sighs> drink sip whatever you want chill it eat it with jerk chicken you know eat it with a nice roasted turkey beautiful i've never had i always say that like napa shard is so fussy with food i've never thought of putting napa shard with uh with jerk so i think that's it's so funny i think the exact opposite i can totally see chardonnay napa chardonnay or any chardonnay but let's focus on napa here pairing well with jerk chicken it's a fuller bodied white it has that creaminess that butteriness that i think would cut through the spices of the jerk chicken and you know trey mentioned before how he would you know when he's talking about pairing 
with something like jerk chicken that you would want to bring in a little bit of sweetness to contrast. Now, not that Napa Chardonnay actually has more residual sugars per se, but because it's so ripe, um, the grapes can achieve such ripeness out in California in, in Napa Valley. It has a perceived sweetness from the fruit um, being as ripe as it is that I think would contrast and complement nicely against jerk chicken. And on that note, I think it's time for us to be joined by our resident taster, 640 Toronto anchor, Danny Longo. And Danny, how do you feel about Chardonnay? Do you love it or hate it? I definitely, I, I'm i a fan of Chardonnay. It hasn't always been my favorite drink, but uh, recently I've uh, kind of taken a, a liking to it. Um, for me, I mean, most of my tastings, I, I like to shop local. I like to support Ontario wineries. So my favorite is probably uh, Robin's Block from Toss, or actually any of their uh, Chardonnays are really good. Um, and some other wineries in that region too. I, I really like uh, the 20 Valley area um, for Shards, but uh, I don't really love the oaked Chardonnays. I kind of prefer an unoaked, but a little bit of oakage is okay as well. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's where I tend to lean. Uh, California Chardonnays too. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had a few of those and so good. Well, I think the good news is, is a lot of Ontario wines are definitely moving towards that Burgundian style of winemaking where they spend a lot of time in barrel, but it's neutral barrel. So these are barrels that are, you know, on their third, fourth, fifth usage. So it spends a lot of time in it, but instead of imparting that really intense buttered popcorn flavor, which would come from newer oak, you're getting body and you're getting texture and you're creating structure, but, you know, without kind of losing the quality of the fruit. So, yes, cheers, Niagara wine for the win. You know, I think it's something that a lot of people don't really think about when they think about winemaking. I, I think when people go to the grocery store and they pick up a bottle of, of wine, they sort of imagine that these products are made the same way every year, made the same way. You know, you put grapes, you ferment them, you put them in a barrel, blah, blah, blah. But one thing that's really fascinating is that, like, all over the world wineries share best practices with each other and the thing is not every climate is the same so when you're thinking about those big opulent californian chardonnays that we were talking about that, that trey mentioned that that maroki that you mentioned as as well in terms of that ripeness when you get fruit that's super ripe you you get this intensity that can match match up and meet those really intense flavors that come from a brand new barrel that really does smell like when you walk into like the lumber section of Home Depot, where in Niagara, where things just don't get as ripe, even in a very hot summer, you need to think about cooking, right? You don't want your dish to taste like salt. You don't want to dump an entire bag of salt in your dish. It's all about bringing balance to it. And I think you'll hear a lot of like snobby wine people use the word balance a lot. But I mean, the more wines you taste, like you really get a sense of when you're drinking a really good balanced wine, and it doesn't mean the same thing in the same places, you know? I think that's one of the things I like about Chardonnays is they're not overly sweet, like a grape, like a Riesling or a Gewurz. Um, I, I think a Chardonnay. Oh, no, 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 Danny, I love this don't grape. say this. 
No, I no. love those paints. Those are one like a couple of my favorite whites, actually. Um, both of them, especially like for if it's a hot summer day, like that's what I want to drink. I want to drink a Gewurztraminer or I want to drink a Riesling. Um, I prefer whites when it's warm outside. I prefer my reds when it's cold. So like that's just uh, that's just how I am. But a shard, like I I feel like I can I can comfortably have a shard in the fall or the spring or the winter. You know, it's just uh, like a like that word that Andre used, balanced. Danny, there's a meme out there on Instagram that says, like, the wine industry trying to convince drinkers that there isn't just sweet Riesling out there. And it's like a bear that's trying to climb up a hill, like a snowy hill, and he keeps sliding back down the hill. Because, <laughs> you know, there's such a, a long audience perception that Riesling is only sweet. But, of course, actually, Riesling could be a lot like Chardonnay in the, in the sense that there could be ones with a lot of residual sugar inside of it. And then there's actually quite bone dry Riesling out there too. That's why I was screaming, Danny. I just, <laughs> I, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that there is sweet Riesling and dry Riesling, similar to there being oaky Chardonnay and unoak Chardonnay. Oh, I'm guys, still, drink all the wine. I'm Keep still, tasting it. I'm still an ardent defender of of off dry or of of sweet Rieslings. I think the quality of the wines have gotten so much better, and it's all about all about balance. Like I think most people, they've just had those awful experiences with things like Blue Nun or Black Tower, which don't get me wrong. If those are your favorite wines, like don't think that I'm speaking disparagingly of them. But if you sit and drink a bottle of Black Tower, you will wake up with a hangover. Um, there are some really great Rieslings in Niagara that have perceptible sweetness. And to me, I find they taste more like biting into a Niagara peach as opposed to, you know, tasting like liquid sugar. It's just it's, it's all about balance because they have really great acidity in them as well. So there we go. We've just said the word balance a hundred times in the past three minutes. <laughs> We are Some now wine snobs. So I guess on on that note, Niagara is a great place for Chardonnay. If you're afraid of oak, maybe California isn't the best place to go. And I am still not sure what we're going to talk about with Danny next week as we wrap up tasting together for this week. But we're looking forward to catching up with you maybe in a more succinct way. But thanks to um, Trey Sanderson, Top Chef Canada Season 10 winner for his love of Napa Chardonnay. Maroki, do you have a Napa Chard that you're going to open tonight? I don't have any in my cellar right now, but if I did have to dream about it, I would happily open a Duckhorn or maybe a Behringer. How about you, Danny? Yeah, Behringer. I was just going to ask for a recommendation, but I do remember having the Behringer in the past, and it is quite delicious. So that would be the one. Well, I'm going to be contrarian because I can't afford Napa Chardonnay this weekend because it is a little bit pricey. I'm going to stick with Niagara and maybe open up a, a Featherstone Canadian Oak. You can check it out on my Instagram at Andre Wine Review. Well, I do have an idea of what we could talk about with Danny for next week. How about soup and wine pairings? <laughs> soup and wine? I... I know. It sounds really, really strange, but I totally have paired wine with matzo ball soup before, and we are rolling into Hanukkah very soon, and my partner is Jewish, so I foresee some matzo ball soup in my future. I do love soup season. There were a few years uh, where I was making a pot of soup every week. I would I would go on a Sunday and, and labor over making like a full pot of soup. And I would just make that for lunch every week. So like over the course of a winter, it'll be like 20 different soups that roll through my house. And they're so easy to freeze and portion off. And then you can just reheat it for a quick meal. 100%. And you know what? I, I, I think... I think next week we need to do a roundup of the best soup joints in Toronto. Cause like it's, it's one of those things where 
when I was first living in Toronto in, in 2007, I know we talked in the first episode about my love of uh, of Chinatown, but you know when I was dating, when I was taking taking my dates out, like there's just so many really fantastic soup restaurants that were never terribly expensive, but still be an experience. And um, yeah, I think I think next week that's what we should be looking at doing. And not just soup, but soup adjacent foods, right? When we talk about Chinatown or Asian cuisine, you know, we have pho, we have ramen, we have udon noodles. Those are all soups. And, well, they're soup noodles. We call them soup noodles. It's different. Okay, you can correct me. Well, well you know what? We'll sort all this out next week. Thanks to everyone for, for tuning in to Tasting Together. And we will catch you next week on Tasting Together at 5 o'clock Saturdays on 640 Toronto.